Now, for y'all that woke up this morning and you couldn't figure out what to be thankful for, and typical of what God normally does in this bunch of people here, it hadn't been too many days that she was on the floor and couldn't get up. Her husband couldn't lift her. And we wasn't thinking she was going to live through that day. You have to think of that when you hear this. Amen. <sighs> yes, amen. Let's turn in our Bible to the 14th chapter of Revelation. I'm going to try to finish with what I started last week. Fourteenth chapter of Revelations. The title of this is More End Times. And by the way, I was corrected last week by someone that knows a lot more about Can't think of that thing you call it on the back of a product? Barcode. barcode. A lot of more about barcodes than I do, said it's not the barcode. So please erase that thought from your mind. But like most of it, it's the, all of it is still a mystery. We struggle along trying to find some meaning to what we read and it's still not clear yet but every day we live is getting closer you need to understand that there's something that we have heard of most of us all our lives it's called, at the end times, the mark of the beast. And I hope to be able to explain a little bit about that today. One of the things that about end times, if we don't know a lot of prophecy, we've most all heard of that. And so in the ninth verse of the 14th chapter of Revelation, this is John being able to be shown revealings from God. That's what Revelations is about. Is that God showed John things that were going on in heaven that nobody down here until that point had ever seen. And he told John to write it down. And John put it in as the last chapter in the Bible along about 90 A.D., about 60 years, 55, 60 years after Jesus was resurrected. So it's been there ever since then. And people have been reading it and trying to figure some of it out. There's no way to figure any of it out without knowing Daniel too, because a lot of the answers to Revelation is located in the book of Daniel. So listen to what verse 9 says. And he says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, 
If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. That means full strength. God is going to pour out his wrath on those who worship the beast full strength. He's not going to cut it with anything. Into the cup of his indignation, which means into that which he chooses and wants to do. And he shall be tormented with fire, talking about those that worship, with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now that is the warning to whoever happens to be here on the earth at the time that the beast is also here. He's going to control, as we saw last week, every sale, every bit of business that involves the exchange of money. And if you do not have his mark, you will not do one piece of business. So whoever here is going to have to make some very, very hard choices. It says that smoke from these people's torments will rise forever. There will be no rest for those in hell. We think about how bad this sounds. There are several places in Scripture that if you can pick them all out and put them all on one page or two pages, you'll get an idea of what hell is like. You know, we sing that song farther along. We'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. But it talks about those around us are never molested, though they're in the wrong. That song is written about these people on this earth that have chosen not to follow Jesus. And they don't ever seem to be bothered with anything but their own misgivings and, 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 and just, just badness around them. There is laws that God has placed in the earth. The Bible talks about these laws. It's like the law of gravity. We know what that is. You take something in your hand and you turn it loose and it drops. Always. It always drops. Because there is a law present that causes everything not to be held up to drop. God doesn't have to stop what he's doing and make anything drop. It happens automatically. 
there is an old saying in some of the old country churches, bad things happen to those who do bad things. It's automatic. Sinners who choose to do wrong bring wrong on themselves. And it happens. In verse 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. What that means is what we're talking about is the saints have got to have patience. It's one of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And here, when we see what all's going on and how bad it is and how people here are going to be mistreated so badly by God, and it's going to be what he wants to do to it. We've got to have a lot of patience to put up with what we see is coming. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They're in heaven and they have patiently waited for heaven. We hold on as Christians living in a very unfavorable environment here on this earth. And in verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Now here is a picture of Christians in heaven. They're resting in heaven. They have got that rest that God promised in Hebrews. They're resting from their labors and their works do follow them. If you remember, we preach that you have status in heaven based on your works that you accomplished on this earth after you were born again and as a Christian. Salvation is free. Rewards in heaven are the result of your works. Now, don't think you're going to walk around heaven with your chest stuck out saying, look what all I did. Because as soon as we see Jesus face to face, we dump all those rewards at his feet. That's what gives us the status in heaven. The more rewards that we collect, that we dump at his feet when we get there, the higher status we have in heaven. That's something that a fellow mentioned in my presence one time, and I've never forgot it. He said, you know, you can't learn these characteristics of Jesus Christ in heaven. There's no sorrow. There's no need for patience. There's no need for putting up with stuff. There's no sin. There's no bad thing. The things that happen down here to you teach you spiritual things, teach you to use the spiritual gift so we learn down here the things that 
characterize us after we get in heaven. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Jesus, he says, was sitting on a cloud. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now I went to look up, because I know about several things that are called sickles and scythes, and whatever things you cut grass and hay and grain with, the sickle that they had in that day was a hand sickle. It wasn't the big two-handed thing. It was a hand sickle. It had a wooden handle. It had a hasp in the wooden handle, just like you put a, a, a handle on a file or whatever nowadays, and it was shaped like a half moon. And some of them were made with stone pressed in wood. Some of them were wood that had been sharpened and later on, some of them were metal, steel, and you could sharpen. That's what they cut the grain with. Now, please remember, we'll go back, we won't go back to it, but remember the story about the tares and the wheat. When the farmer planted wheat and, some, and the Satan came and planted weeds, tares, in amongst the wheat, and the workers asked the, the landowner, the boss, God, in this picture that that Jesus created. Do we go pull up the tares now? He said, leave them alone because you may tear up some of the wheat. It's talking about the weeds that are in the church. It's talking about the people that Satan has placed in our church to turn things around on us. And he said, leave them alone. God will deal with them. He'll either deal with them here, and I've seen that happen, and he'll deal with them at the end of time when the earth is harvesting. So remember that, that parable as we look at this because he refers to it several times. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud upon a cloud, one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple. This is a temple that's in heaven. Crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. He's, he's, he's shouting to Jesus. Thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. It's time, Jesus, for the harvest of the earth. The crop it's done, everything's ripe, and it's time that you clean it, clean it all up. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. So it's time for the harvest. There's coming a time when there's going to be a harvest, and earth will be no more. Remember what he said in the parable of the tares. No, we'll wait on the tares among the wheat until it's time for the harvest. And when it is, you take the tares out first and burn them. There's that analogy. We're taking evil. We're taking un unchristian people, unsaved people. Take them out first and burn them in hell. They're going to hell. 
and then put the wheat in my barn. What a picture. What a picture. And he says, I went back and looked to make sure that I understood every word in the end of that parable. And the landowner said, you put the wheat in my barn. And I underlined my. We may not always feel like we belong to God down here. We might be in a situation where we think, what in the world's going on? But we belong to God. You belong to God, and I belong to God. We're adopted, and we're paid for. And this is a time when everybody knows it because you're called out to be put in his barn rather than be sent to hell with the, with, with the tares. Now, this time's going to come. I have no doubt about it. There is no uh, misunderstanding about what he's saying here. It's been proven over and over, and it's coming. But the thing is, we don't know when. Nobody knows when. Jesus was asked when, when he was on the earth, and Jesus didn't know. He said, that's left up to my Father to know. He's the only one that knows when this is going to happen. We have some clues about when it will be coming because of things happening before it happens. And we see some of those things being done now. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. I don't know how much you know about prophecy. I don't know how much you study about prophecy. But I studied about this stuff 50 years ago, a little better than 50 years ago. And I thought then, very much like some of us are thinking now, that some things had already happened, that it was soon to come. But I've lived every day, and I found that I didn't have anything to be concerned about. It's going to happen when it happens, and it'll happen just like they say here. Now, I want to speak to the young folks for a minute who happen to be listening, and the not-so-young, because you may not know yet what I'm fixing to talk about. When I was a young fella, I heard this story about when I was 10 or 11, 12, and I can remember the concern on my face that I was wondering, will that interfere with my plans? I mean, I want to be this, and I want to be that, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And this is my get in my way. And I'll soon be 80, and I'm still here. I got to do what I wanted to do, with God's blessing, with God, and I started to say with God's help, and I don't like that phrase, with God's help, because God's in control. Whatever is, happens in my life happens because God made it happen. It wasn't just helping me do anything. I've had to learn that. If you lead a blessed life with the knowledge that this is ahead of you at some point, and I don't know, I might still be here when it happens myself. You just don't know. But if you lead a blessed life, there's some things 
that God has shown me and I believe has shown some of you and maybe all of you don't know them yet, but you need to. God says in Psalms 39 and verse 4, Teach me to count my days to see how frail I am. If you really look at yourself like all those people in church at Corinth did because Paul was eating them up and down the road, you will look at yourself and you won't think so highly of yourself. You'll realize you are a sinner and you can't quit sinning altogether. You'll still do it. It's your nature to do it as long as you live in this old old, old body, this sinful body. Like Paul says, I see there's a fight going on inside of me. My spirit, that which God has, wants me to do good, but my body keeps me from being able to do it. It's a fact. Teach me to count my days that I may know how frail I am. If we do that, we'll have a better understanding of just who we are. Every writer in the Bible called himself dust, and dust is not worth anything. I don't know of any place that you can go buy dust. Everybody I know don't like it. If you've ever lived on an unpaved road, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you can, another one of God's secrets that we say every time we say the Lord's Prayer, God instructed us to say, to pray, give me this day my daily bread. God instructed us not to even ask for something to eat tomorrow. I can remember cards in my great-uncle Bill's old trunk from some of my old kin folks back in the 30s, 20s and 30s and 40s up in Rome, Georgia, and what they wrote to the Clarks down here in this part of the country was always about something to eat. Everything they put in a letter was how many quarts of beans they had canned in the cellar and, and how many hogs they had killed. And it was all about something to eat because that was the thing that was on their mind so much back then. They couldn't go to a store and see fruit from all over the world in every season. They ate what happened to be bacon in the backyard at the time, and they ate it over and over again until it quit, quit making, and that's what they had to do. They didn't get to pick and choose. Look, please, at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. We're going to see something here about Paul's testimony. You know, Paul went through a great deal for Jesus Christ. He really did. But in the third chapter of Philippians, In verse 13, Paul says, Brethren, 
writing to the church at Philippi, I count not myself to have apprehended. What that means is, I'm not there yet, Paul says. I don't have it all. I mean, he spent three years in the desert being taught by Jesus Christ. And he says, I don't have it all yet. I ain't got there yet. But this one thing I do, Paul, probably the strongest Christian in our scriptures, said there's one thing that I understand that I must do every day. Forgetting those things which are behind. Now folks, I'm going to tell you something. That is one of the most important things I've learned. I have seen so many people keep looking back at bad stuff. Maybe they did, or maybe their loved ones did, or maybe the kinfolks did, or somebody they liked down the road did. And it upsets them so bad that they can't do what God would have them do today because they're so encompassed about, as Bible words, by the remembering of things that used to be. We have got to blot those things out of, that, out of our mind. Yesterday is gone. Someone said that God did not make man shoulders strong enough to carry yesterday's problems, today's problems, and tomorrow's problems. So you can't remember the problems of yesterday. You can only carry today's problems, and tomorrow it doesn't even exist until midnight tonight. So you can't worry about what's coming. It'll make you sick in such a way that you will not be able to live for God today like God intended for you to live for Him. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. You remember what Jesus told us? A man can't even plow if he, if he hooks a plow up, takes the hold of the handles, and plows looking back. If you've ever done that, it'll be the crookedest road behind you you've ever seen in your life. You can't plow looking back. Jesus said that, which is one of the greatest truths I've ever heard. Because you get out and try it, you'll make the biggest mess you've ever seen, because I've been there. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Paul is looking for heaven. His race is over when he gets to heaven. Your race, my race, is over when I get to heaven. And you get a prize. You get a prize for the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. God is working to use you for His glory through the salvation of Jesus Christ by the guidance of the Spirit which is within you. That's the way it works. Let us therefore, because of all this I just said, Paul says, let us therefore as many as be perfect. That's saved, folks. That's not perfect in behavior. That's the Christians. As many as be Christians, be thus minded. So think like this.
Paul says, think like this right here I've just showed you. Forget yesterday. Keep reaching for tomorrow, looking forward to tomorrow and what I might be able to accomplish tomorrow for God on my way to heaven. So think about it. And if anything ye be, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, if you're not doing that, you're not doing like Paul said to do, God shall reveal even this unto you. The one of the neatest things that to me is highlighted by, by bright yellow phosphorus paint in my Bible and underlined because you see, if any time I'm not thinking like this, like Jesus wants me to think, God will have the Holy Spirit step in and show me that the way you're thinking is not right. Now you can't get any better than that. You just can't. And if you choose not to listen and choose not to do and choose not to be led, then that's the ones that God is going to pour out His wrath on without cutting it with anything. It'll be full strength. It's all so linear. It's black and it's white, and there it is. And we as Christians have got slack cut for us like you would not believe. But it's not so good for those people that have not chosen to believe in Jesus Christ. So we look forward with effort and a good spirit to that day when we will be in heaven. Can't look around at other folks now. You can't grade yourself on what your neighbor's doing. Hey, well, I'm better than him. In some instances, that can get you in hell. You don't look at each other. You look at Jesus. He's the only one that came from heaven. He's the only one that had heaven's characteristics. He's the only one that walked on this earth like a person came from heaven. And you've got to either look at him and stand up to him or, or be with his standard because you can't look at anybody else. And in the heart of some people who have seemed to you to be so spiritual, there is things in there that are locked up behind a little closet door in somewhere way, way back in the, in the middle of our body that we keep protected. We don't want God to even find out where it is. We're looking for heaven. So at the end of the day, if we're going to be sinners anyhow and every day and it's going to happen to us, at the end of the day, the last thing you do before you close your eyes is ask God to forgive you for all your sins. Every day. Every day. Don't go to bed without doing that. And ask Him, if you will, to fill you with His Spirit. Because that's the only way we can understand the things of heaven is by being filled with the Spirit. And when you wake up in the morning, speak to Jesus first. This is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. 
That'll get you started off right before the world smacks you right smack in the face. No sleepless nights. That's not allowed. No fears by day. The thing that we've got to understand, our God is not bound by time. He has no watch. He doesn't have to look at it. He's not late. He's always on time. But we do. Our days are separated into dark time and light time. Our clocks, now we're surrounded by them. They're in our telephones. All we've got to do is look in our pocket and see what time it is. And it's that time over and somewhere in Europe, too. It ain't ours. You know. It's correct. And we have to live bound by time. There are times you can't do things. And there are times you can do things. Now remember, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1, it says it is not only about what you do, but very importantly, there is a time for every purpose under the heaven. There is an appropriate time that things are supposed to be done. And we're not only supposed to do the right thing, we're supposed to do the right thing at the right time. You can't get anywhere doing the right thing at the wrong time. I was told the working of the Holy Spirit is never 24 hours old. If God tells you to do something, you better turn and start doing it. Because tomorrow might be too late. And also, I had to learn in my search for the truth that it's not always appropriate. That was a hard lesson for me. I thought the truth was always appropriate, but it's not. It's not. What do you think of this dress I have on? Man, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. That may be the truth. Do you see what I'm saying? The truth is not always appropriate, and it's not always welcome. But it's always the truth. And as Christians, we have to look for the truth in all kinds of things. We've got to be very careful not to jump off at assumptions. And one thing that I've got written on my wall it's been good for me. Maybe it'll help you. Where God puts you is always a lot better than where you would have put yourself. You know that? And when you see yourself being put in a place you don't think is too good, hang on. God may be the one doing the putting, and if he is, it'll be a better place than where you were going to go. I've learned that. Don't always look at a way to start with, but I've learned. I'll just read this for you if it's okay. In Second Thessalonians chapter one and verse seven. And to you who are troubled, 
rest with us. To you who are troubled this morning, rest with the rest of us that are quiet in the Lord. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. There's coming a day when we're going to be admired by everybody. Have we got the patience to wait it out? That's what he talks about. So wait it out patiently. I've heard some of you pray, Lord, come. Come on now. Come now. Come quickly. You know, there's a crown for people who want that to happen. There's seven crowns in the Bible to be given to those Christians who have certain characteristics and want Jesus to come back in a hurry is one of those crowns that we'll get to dump at his feet because we want him to come back so bad we get a reward for it and then we can dump it at his feet and show him that we want him to come back quick. Let him do what he wants to do with you. Don't live like people down here live that don't have Christ. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is written for those people who live without God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for showing us what is going to come. I pray that we won't be here. But Lord, if we do, we'll patiently work through that too. So Lord, bless us. Give us your grace. Make us bold in living for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.